When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week's show features another person on my dream list of interviews. Scarlett Page may have grown up as Jimmy Page's daughter, but she's made her own mark in the world of music photography. And we talk about both those worlds. She's photographed so many of my favorite artists, like the Smashing Pumpkins, Verve, Mars Volta, King Crimson, and of course her dad. Her project Resonators is now being shown in South America. And if you're down there, go check it out. Give her a follow on social media at Scarlet Page. Check out her work at scarletpage.com and check out her jewelry at lovescarlet.co.uk. Subscribe, rate, and review. Please follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. And check out our stuff at performanceanx.threadless.com where you can buy merchandise. Hope you enjoy Scarlet Page on performance anxiety. Okay, I'll give it a go. Right. Hi, I'm Scarlett Page. Uh, I'm a photographer. I've been a photographer for nearly 30 years, uh, predominantly in the music business. Uh, I've recently done a a huge project called Resonators, um, taking photographs of as many uh, legendary guitarists as I I could, um, which is actually on show in Buenos Aires currently, um, probably for most of this year. So if you happen to be there, please check it out. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really do appreciate it. Uh, it's it's this is really a treat for me. Oh, good, thank you. The, well, and it's it's funny because I get a little nervous with certain interviews, and this is one of them. And it's not. It, it's mostly because for years I was a photographer, and when I get the chance to have a photographer on, I, I get a little nervous because I don't want to geek out too much on on photography and and leave, like the, the listeners in the dust and going, "What the hell are they talking about?" Oh, well, that's good for me, though, because I know what you're talking about, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for spending some time with me. I really do appreciate it. I'm, I know, you, you know you've got two kids and an amazing career, so I know. And you're in London, so it's, uh, it's like a five-hour difference here. So I really do appreciate you, you putting aside a little time to talk with me. No worries. I've told the kids that, you know, because obviously it's a Saturday here, and um they're under strict instructions not to come in. <laughs> I Let's don't like the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I've got three teenagers. I think one's still asleep. It's like almost noon here, and it's. I think one of them is still asleep. So. Wow. Uh, he's he's going to get in trouble for that one, though. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay, so you, you've had a a pretty wild life, I guess, so far. You know, you're the daughter of one of the uh, biggest guitar heroes on the planet. And you've been able to make a career doing what I love, being a photographer. Uh, I guess the first thing I want to do is is find out a little bit more about growing up. I mean, you're pretty much growing up in the eye of a hurricane 
because Led Zeppelin was one of the biggest bands of all time. Definitely the 70s, but, you know, of all time, rock and roll bands. Did you feel any of that growing up or, or were you kept you know, in the eye of the hurricane were nice and calm? It's it's a really funny one because of, I often get asked, you know, what's it like having Jimmy Page as your dad? And um, and cynically, I tend to reply with, well, I have got nothing to compare it with. And, right. you know, that was just my normal. And but looking at it from, you know, a distance, I was I mean, I didn't spend my youth going on tour. Um, I lived in the countryside, uh, quite near Brighton in England. Um, and we lived in a, a very seventies house looking back in it now. It, it had a, it had a moat and black swans. Whoa. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I didn't have a moat in New, suburban no. New Jersey. I suppose that was quite rock and roll, but I was an only child <laughs> and dad was away a fair bit on tour, obviously, but you know, when he used to come back, I'd get like a, a cuddly toy or something. And that was great. And really, my life was very normal, actually. Um, well, you know, apart from the moat and the black swans. But. <laughs> I'll tell you, I I wanted a moat. I don't know about the black swans part, but I definitely wanted a moat growing up. That's for sure. It was pretty cool. Now, your mom, Charlotte Martin, and she she's a painter right now. Was She was a model when she met your dad. Yes. What? What was it like? What was she doing in in the time that your dad was on tour and you were growing up? And I'm I'm assuming you know, since you said life was pretty normal, you were going to school and, and all. What was your mom doing at this point? So prior to having me, she was a, a really successful model, but for a very short amount of time. I mean, she did really high caliber things, um, uh, and also a, a great fact is that if you watch the All You Need Is Love um, recording of the the Beatles yes. singing, she's there, like really fully folk. You can really see her in the audience, and uh, I think she even gets royalties for it or something oh, crazy. Wow. Yeah, yeah, but um, she's uh, so she she was a really great front uh, magazine model, but then when she got pregnant with me, she gave all that up and um, and just was a mum really and looked after me at home. But um, yeah, she didn't really go on tour either. But right, yeah. But did, so, what, did she paint when you were growing up? Was she doing her own artwork at that point? Not so much. I don't know really. I was too. You know, as kids are, you're not really paying attention to everyone else. I was just doing my own thing. But she was just being a mum. And, um, oh, she obviously did some good things amongst all the 70s craziness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, suffice to say, I would probably say I'm the kind of, if you've ever watched Absolutely Fabulous, I'm the kind of straight daughter. Okay, in yeah. The next, you know? When they're all a bit crazy, and then you turn out to be the sensible one. <laughs> <laughs> Between the two parents who are wildly creative and all now, but you ended up being incredibly creative as well. And you know, your dad is a wildly talented musician, and your mom is a, turns out to be a very talented painter as well. So I, I've at first I was thinking, you know, maybe you got your artistic creativity from Jimmy, but then started looking at your mom's work. I said, well, you know, it could go either way. Yeah, it's 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 funny, actually, because also now being a mum and having had children, my daughter is, like, so similar to my mum. So it's, you know, that's it. Initially, you might think, oh, yeah, so the creative gene and the love of being around music comes from dad. But actually, 
No, my mum's, you know, also a, a huge music lover and, and like you say, incredibly talented. And But my daughter is basically my mum in a new sort of generation. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That That's really wild. And it's, it's amazing how that happens, how you can really pick out who they're 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 most similar to i I can do it with my kids too it's it's my daughter is a yeah my 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 youngest daughter is a very talented photographer my uh my oldest is is more of the nurturing type which is my my wife for sure Uh, and she's there and they're all in high school right now so they're all uh my daughter's taking nursing class my oldest is taking nursing classes my youngest is is interested in uh, photography and artwork and my my son is my my dad to be honest with you he's he's the kind of kid that he just likes to take crap apart and see how it works and then uh-huh. put it back together which is totally my father that's very cool so so my daughter also wants to be a photographer and i keep saying no you don't <laughs> want to be <laughs> no don't be one of those you gotta have something with a steady income <laughs> exactly <laughs> so i I do have a, another question about your childhood, um, and then we can move on pretty quickly after this, but I did find out something interesting, and, and I want to know if, if you can confirm this or not, but in 1974, I saw a, a, a mention of Jimmy Page, Keith Richards, Ian Stewart, uh, Rick Gretsch, and possibly uh, Bruce Rowland on drums in the, in uh, the Island studios in London recording a song called Scarlet. And I wanted to know if there's any actual recordings of that, if you've ever heard that song or if it exists and if you know if that's true or not. So like you, I've heard a rumor, but I heard it was Ronnie Wood. Oh, really? Wrote it. Yeah. Ah, okay. It, I looked at uh, I'm trying to remember where I saw it. It's on some Rolling Stones fan site, and it's it says I've got it listed here as happened on October fifteenth, uh, London Island Studios, Scarlet One Unverified, and then it says lineup: Keith Richards guitar and vocals, uh, Stu yeah. on piano, Jimmy Page guitar, Rick Gretsch on bass, and Bruce Roland drums. So no, that's the first time I've heard that, but I've definitely heard. A Ronnie, a Ronnie, maybe Ann Keith ah. uh, version. Not, not, I've never heard the version, but I've heard the 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 the, the myth, the yeah. rumor. So I don't know. Man, but I I've heard the some, same thing. I'm hoping we can get some closure on that one. Maybe, maybe there's a bootleg or something of it. Yeah, there probably is. <laughs> I, I, you know, I may even have it. I, I, I always hesitate to say this to to artists, but I've got so many Led Zeppelin bootlegs. It's ridiculous. I haven't. <laughs> well, you don't need them. <laughs> you can go right to the source. Hey, Dad, play something for me. Yeah. <laughs> when did you pick up a camera and start taking pictures? Um, well, really, I started taking pictures when I was about 17. Oh, no, sorry, 19 or 18, 19, when I went to art college. And over here, you can do something called a foundation course where um, after finishing school, you kind of know you want to do something arty and you can spend a year trying everything. Um, and it's it's very cool. You do lots of painting and, you know, a bit of 
sculpture and and all sorts but photography was one of the modules and um i think looking back i i know that um the way i used to paint was very much sort of replicating what i saw it wasn't very loose and crazy and you know it was very controlled and like a photograph in fact and so when i started um playing around with photography it just I, I mean i just loved it the way you could sort of yeah capture that moment and say a lot uh or well i suppose that's evolved a bit because like when you were you because then i went to do a, a three-year degree in photography in london um where it was all about sort of juxtaposing image with text and changing the meaning of you know there could be a picture of a little girl and then you put a sentence under it and it means something completely different you know you could yeah. say so so it's all about that and it was all quite sort of political ideology at, at uni and then sort of after spending three years doing that which was brilliant um i completely by chance um just went to to my dad was recording a he was doing a video um, in Pinewood Studios, and um, I think he invited me along. Just said, you know, do you want to come along and take some pictures? And um, and basically from there, I met Ross Halfin, who is a rock photographer, very oh, amazing. One. And um, he was shooting the official stills on the video, and um, and. I remember going along and feeling really nervous about, you know, driving there and will I find it? And then I've got to go in and it's like a production and, um, and then, you know, took some stills and, and that was where I first met Ross. And then he was really lovely and invited me to another shoot that they were doing in a actual sort of photographic studio. And obviously I knew how to load 120 film backs, which are medium format cameras. Oh, yeah. And for those who don't know, um, <laughs> um so uh, I think at uni I'd only used Hasselblads and now we were sort of using Mamiya 6.7s, which are slightly different, but I knew what I was doing. I wasn't like just coming into it, you know, completely green. So um, so that was great fun. And, and obviously because I knew what I was doing, uh, Ross then, because he had quite a few assistants at the time, you know, I was like seconding. Mm. Um, and then quite soon I was starting to do quite a bit of traveling with him and his first assistant. And then I moved on to doing just being the only assistant sometimes for some trips when budgets would allow, you know, just for one person to go. So, so from then on, we started, um, I think very quickly, uh, I was, uh, you know, in America and Australia shooting sound. Well, I was, I was assisting while he was shooting people like Soundgarden and Metallica and Smashing Pumpkins. So was this uh, around the time that you started photographing for uh, the following the Lollapalooza tour in 94? So I assisted Ross for about a year and a half where I, I was um, traveling around literally just being an assistant with him. So I would set up all the shots, um, and, you know, lump all the gear around, basically. And in those days when it was film, the uh, the bags were really heavy. Yes, <laughs> so, I remember. Oh, my god! Especially medium format cameras, lights, you know, all the lighting, the stands and the 35 mil. Um, 
so there was a lot to carry and quite often we'd be in like really hot places and having to do Polaroid tests of things and, you know, and then Ross, uh, so you kind of got to, to know how he liked it to be set up and you, or you'd even have to do like location scouting and oh, yeah. taking pictures. Yeah. Which was really, really fun. And, um, and, uh, so no, for about a year and a half, I now and again, I would shoot, like say if, if he was photographing, um, so he was one of the trips we did was to Australia to shoot the big day out, which is a festival over there. And because in the photo pit, you don't really need an assistant as much as when you're shooting, you know, set up right. images. Um, he said, you know, you can shoot some stuff on my camera if you want. And so I started shooting more and more of my own things. And actually one of my first published pictures was a shot of Chris Cornell, which ended up on a back cover of a, a, a magazine here called Raw, which oh, is now in existence but um so that was my first image and I just slowly slowly started you know adding a little bit to my portfolio um and eventually I started getting itchy feet in terms of (laughs) if you're an assistant you either you know you're happy with that steady income of being an assistant and to have a a good assistant is just incredible so you know some people that is their full-time job and and that's great but I was getting a bit itchy to sort of want to do things for myself um and uh so having done all this traveling with Ross I accrued lots of air miles and then decided to, to go um out to Lollapalooza and um I knew the tour managers working with the Beastie Boys and the Smashing Pumpkins and they were co-headlining so um I mean I think back now I think because uh, I've never been sort of uh, you know I'm, I'm not like super confident but um I got a flight and just went out there on my own wow. <laughs> and uh, and you know crikey you know there <laughs> I was like I don't know 23 three 24 which is old enough but still you know it's, it's it was great it, i think it, wow good for me yeah you look back on it and at the time you're like oh yeah i'm a i'm a total adult i can go and do this easy and then now having your own kids you know my kids are 14 15 and 16 and i'm like no don't i don't want you driving i don't want you doing anything let alone taking a trip around the world exactly so yeah so so and and but it was great because i shot a lot of you know, crap stuff and shot some really cool stuff. And, and one of the images I took out there was, um, so it was one of the, there's a photographer called Ricky Powell, who was the Beastie Boys photographer. And he, um, when we were out there, he said, Oh, you've got to meet this cool band from England. And, um, they're called the Verve and, um, they're playing on the other stage and they're really cool. You should come and meet them so um so i went yeah sure that'd be great and so uh, he introduced me to them on a really rainy day where they were all very stoned (laughs) and i think they didn't even know if they were going to be playing but i said oh is it okay if i take a few pictures with my fisheye lens and bounce flash cross-processing my film i was just like mixing it all up didn't really know what was going to come out of it but to cut a long story short the one of the images um, that I took in their tour bus, I put on a little composite card that I sent out to like managers and press agents to sort of you know just go hello I'm a photographer yeah yeah and their their manager saw the image of the verb and you know called me up straight away and said oh this is great we want to use it on our artwork and it made it into their Northern Soul um, album artwork which was really great and a big turning point for me in terms of 
you know, it was, it injected my portfolio with a lot of cool at the time. The Verve, just to interject a little bit here, The Verve is one of my favorite bands of all time. I mean, it goes, uh-huh. and, which is really one reason why I'm, I, like I was saying in the beginning, get a little nervous with this interview because you're connected to so much of my favorite stuff. <laughs> Photography, Led Zeppelin, and The Verve. Oh, so, and also Northern Soul, would you agree their best album? <laughs> you know, it, it, I love it. I, I it, it's, I am, I'm kind of torn between that and A Storm in Heaven. Those, okay. I, I love, I love Shoegaze. So A Storm in Heaven is the first thing I heard by the verse. So I'm always, maybe it's, I think for me, it's a little more sentimental and yeah. uh, the, Northern Soul's more focused and there's, you can definitely feel that Richard's a lot more in charge in that album. Yeah. But my favorite Verve song of all time is Life's an Ocean on that album. So. Okay. So, yes. <laughs> but the thing, the thing that was uh, amazing, when, when I went to start researching to, to talk to you today, uh, I, I had, I'm you know, super familiar with the artwork because at that time, in the early 90s, I, w- I was studying photography. I was huge into music. Every spare nickel I had went into buying CDs and vinyl and all that, and I would pour over the artwork. Being a photographer, I wanted to learn as much as I could, and so I would look over the band's photography and the photo credits and all. And when I went to research, I thought, "Oh, so I shot the Verve," and oh, something off a of Northern Soul, and it immediately hit me. I hadn't even looked yet, and I knew exactly which shot it was because the style was so different than Michael Spencer Jones who had mm-hmm. you know, shot a lot of their other stuff. And I said, it's got to be that shot of them on the bus because it doesn't look like something Michael Spencer Jones would have shot. It's a completely different style. And I love this shot because it makes it, it, it looks like they're kind of road weary. They look tired. And like, they've well, been- it was, I think that's, that sums up my photography style is actually getting a real shot. And that really was not set up. It was so, and they were, I mean, you look at the body language in the picture and it sort of is speaking volumes because I think there was some sort of problems within the band at the time. You know, mm-hmm. they weren't particularly happy, but it's a really cool shot. Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's great. And, and it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because they, they weren't getting along, but the music was amazing. And you know, this is what this I guess they had broke. Had they broken up once at this point or they're about to break up for the first time, the first of like four times or something like that? Yeah, I think they were on the uh, about to. I yeah. think, and I was, yeah. I was, I counted myself incredibly lucky because I got a chance to see that Lollapalooza tour and the Smashing Pumpkins are another one of my favorite bands. Uh, I mean, if I'm yeah. t- if I'm counting my top five favorite bands of all time, there's Led Zeppelin, there's The Verve, Smashing Pumpkins, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, and then I don't know somebody else I can't think of right now. Who's, who's obviously not as important as those four bands. But I got a chance to see two of my favorites on one tour. So I, it, was, it was amazing. And if you were following them there, then you were probably at that show. Because I saw them in Philadelphia at Franklin Park. Yeah. Now, I don't know if I was at that one, but I did some East Coast and some West Coast. And, um, and uh, yeah, it, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, that, I was allowed to shoot the whole of the Pumpkins and the Beastie Boys sets wow. every night. The and entire it was just, set? Yeah, it was just such an wow. incredible 
time and you know i know when you're taking photographs of a band it's not the same as actually watching in the crowd and having a drink or whatever but it's the best seat in the house although you are looking at it through a lens um i mean there was one time on the Lollapalooza. i'm not sure where it was but there was (laughs) there was the photo pit was sort of two raised platforms with a dip in the middle and i fell in the dip because you sort of you're sort of crab moving along, taking pictures, and then you're like, oh, okay, yes. big drop. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm sure but, um, that the pit was was packed with photographers at that point. Uh, but after three songs, they're out, and then I was staying in. That's, that's, <laughs> so that was amazing. That is, that's the thing. And, and I guess most you know people who don't, haven't done this, is it's they don't really under, realize that when you go and you get a media pass and they let you in there, you – you're right in front of the stage for three songs. After that, you get a, they kick you out, and you're free to wander around and take pictures, but you can't be in that pit unless you've got you know the, the permission that, that you had. I was very, 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 very lucky, and um, I, you know, it, I out of all the pictures I took at that particular time, um, you know, there's a few corkers, but really it was the Verve one that was the standout shot. I mean, there's definitely a few lovely live shots of, you know, young Billy Corgan and James Ehar and everyone um, and and a few of the Beastie Boys that are OK. But I was quite nervous still even sort of, you know, getting too stuck in with the Beasties. You know, I, I sort of I, I've always liked being a fly on the wall a bit with as well with my style. I don't really like being too imposing. So I think, you know, my sort of, you know, not just being so early in my career at that point, I wasn't really sort of, you know, bounding into the dressing rooms and sort of demanding that I take pictures. It, it, you know, sort of the Ross Halfin style was not how I was. I wasn't as sort of upfront as he was. Um, but then, that, you know, we've all got different ways of doing things. And, yeah. and so, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's one reason why I connect with your work so easily is I'm, I'm very much the same way. I, as a photographer, I was so co- comfortable behind the lens. I wanted yeah. to be, I just wanted, I wanted candid shots. I, I didn't want the setup shots. I like getting out there and getting the feel of the event and, and, and what was going on. And it was only through Finding a sale, you know, having unfortunately having you know having to give up photography as a job when we had kids and needed insurance and all, um, yeah. and getting a sales job where I actually was able to to be a lot more forward, which has helped me a little bit. But I, I think that honest feel documentary style of your work is what really connected with me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's where I feel more comfortable. I think you know. <laughs> now was Lollapalooza. A, a, your first paying gig or what was the first job that, that somebody contacted you and say, Hey, we want you to shoot these guys. So no, I was just doing that all off my own back. Um, so obviously the, uh, the first, I think, you know, the first thing being the verve picture, I got paid you know, quite a, you know, a decent amount, but yeah. nothing, you know, not paying my mortgage, but, but yeah, <laughs> it nice. It was like, whoa. Um, and then, and then quite soon after that, I got a job for EMI to shoot a press session with a band called baby Stafford, who I don't know what happened to them, but we did a really amazing <laughs> shoot and it was so much fun. And then, um, pretty soon I started working quite regularly for raw magazine and, um, they were similar to, uh, a magazine over here called Kerrang, which is still going. Oh yeah. Um, and, and raw, you know, I think, you know, I used to just shoot 
all the bands that were sort of happening at the time, you know, like I would do the Smashing Pumpkins and um, Stereophonics and uh, um, who else? Uh, well, yeah, Foo Fighters and um, lots of English bands like Feeder and, and, and stuff. So just all the bands that were sort of coming out, I was very much having to travel and document. And, and then quite soon, a few years into shooting for raw they they sort of all changed for them and then i started working for kerrang as well um mm. as well as other a bit of stuff for q magazine and mojo and um so yeah so and i noticed that some of the uh the bands you shot are amazing like uh you mentioned the foo fighters obviously verve and smashing pumpkins but the, uh, some of my other favorite bands like the black crows uh yeah. the mars volta placebo i mean these are the the bands that I would listen to and I would pay money to see, I would have paid money to go shoot them. Photographically, of course. So at the drive-in was, I was sent out to New York to shoot them, which is just like, I mean, you know, it has changed so much. I don't get flown out to New York anymore (laughs) to to shoot bands like that. But you know, it, it was just such an incredible time because there you are in New York, in Times Square, taking pictures of these guys who just look incredible. And, you know, outside Irving Plaza and, you know, you just can't take a bad shot, really. And, and um, yeah, so um, so all of that. And you say, like, Placebo, I've been shooting them for years. And, uh, yeah, since they got signed, same with Stereophonics. And, um, and I was at the first Foo Fighter gig at Reading Festival in, oh, wow. in England and... So, yeah, Man. lots of very cool stuff. <laughs> now, you've shot a lot of, of bands throughout the years, like you said, Placebo and Smashing Pumpkins. The Pumpkins yeah. in particular have gone through a lot, uh, a lot of changes, a lot of turmoil. Is it hard to to shoot a band when, when you get – or do you get close to the band? And, and is it hard to shoot them when they're going through stuff like that? Um. So, so Smashing Pumpkins – like you, they're one of my favorite bands. And, and, um, so the first time I met them, I was assisting Ross and he was, I think, gish, it was quite soon before Siamese dream was about to come out. And, um, mm. it was a shoot we did in, in Notting Hill on a rooftop. And, and I just thought, who are these crazy people? <laughs> <laughs> um, they just, they're just like really being quite odd, but, um, but I was intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously then I went I can't remember that, whether I went to Lollapalooza I think I went to see them play at the Astoria here first a, a couple of nights and by that point I was really really into their music I think and then Siamese Dream was out and um and I just I just yeah I mean I, I went to every night that they played in London and then there was the Lollapalooza thing and um and then from then on we've always kept in contact which has been well you know here and there a few years will pass or you know five years will pass but i've periodically tapped back in and um i've been to rio um again it was so my dad was actually playing a festival out there called hollywood rocks
I haven't been to like loads of on the road with my dad kind of scenarios, but right. the Smashing Pumpkins were also playing. So I was like, it'd be really cool if I come out to that one. And um, <laughs> um, so I, t- I remember just, you know, really that was my interest. I was out, you know, taking pictures at Soundcheck and doing a bit of video. And, and um, I, I recently sort of, uh, yeah, found the video and put it onto a, a USB. So I was oh, like, whoa, so cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, really cool. And so, yeah, I mean, I, like I, I mean, I never really got involved in the sort of band politics. You could tell that there was tensions, but it was, you know, and, and also I was at the show where, um, it was a sh- it was a show in in Ireland where some there was like a, a really horrible crowd crushing and somebody someone I think got crushed to death. It was just yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and um and and then obviously some of the band members then there was sort of like drug things going on and yeah, but I wasn't close enough to sort of be that involved in that, but I knew what was going on. But then you know Billy's had other projects, and I've always sort of kept in contact with Billy and like through Zwan, I photographed that and oh, I and Zwan. that was such yeah, a great album. It really was, and that, that so I went out to Chicago to do some stuff with them, and and then when Billy was doing his own solo stuff, I've it's just I seem to somehow have always managed to sort of be commissioned to do something at those different points. And then last year um, when they you know reformed and they they played well they've been touring recently i got to do a, a shoot with them and it was just so much fun i was like oh cool and the pictures were great and i shot the whole show again and they were just so lovely and it's a bit like you know they really looked after me because it's like you know I've, i have known them so long now and you think back to 90 you know what was Lollapalooza 94 95 yeah 94 I remember that like it was yesterday because yeah some the granny in the pit now yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, not I, really I've <laughs> I remember going to that Lollapalooza in, in Franklin Park in Philadelphia and I guess it had rained early in the day or the day before I've never been to a show where I got more muddy than that I would I I mean it, the mud was probably down by the stage, like like three inches deep. It, I just, it was okay. It was you need disgusting. to come to Glastonbury. <laughs> <laughs> if you're I can guaranteed to. You'll get trench foot. Oh no! <laughs> it's casualties of photography. No longer the casualties of war. It's just the casualties of photography. <laughs> Over the years, have you had um, anybody you've actually dreaded to shoot? And you don't even have to tell me names or anything if you don't. You, you feel free to if you if you don't care. But um, has there been a, a a really tough shoot that they just sat there and go, I can't believe I have to put up with this? So there's a band that I don't remember their name, but they were just so full of themselves, and I was like, oh my god! I mean, no one even knows who you are, and you're like. <laughs> The egos, like I can't even, you know, it's just yeah. so I just, I think I just rolled my eyes at them, but just professionally carried on. But there was one band, and I won't say because, <laughs> because I, I mean, it's not a biggie, but basically, um, the band were lovely, but the singer was going through a dark period, and um, and I, I we'd gone out for Kerrang to shoot a cover feature. And the singer was just being an absolute ass, and I mean, he just—he well, at that, at that time, he was had grown a big beard, and 
He was very introverted. I mean, you know, I look at it now and obviously he was going through some serious mental health issues and maybe addiction. And, you know, uh, and, but I was just thinking I'd spent the whole morning doing a recce, a location scout, right? We could do it here, that, that, got it all mapped out. And then it was like, no, we're not doing it there. We're going to do it at the venue. Okay, fine. So we get to the venue and then it's like, no, they don't want to do any pictures or yes, you can have two minutes. It's got to be there. And, uh-huh. you know, you, just kind of think I don't care this is a this is a you know it's it's promotion for the band and if I don't get it I'm not gonna get upset about it it's not like you know there's nothing I can do literally it's nothing I can do but you have to be very patient lots of hanging around and and um and you know the pictures were not my best because he just was not connecting at all but um well, you know, when I've got an answer for who was the most difficult person, because it would have been that person. Yeah. But, <laughs> whoever that is. <laughs> yeah, whoever that is. But I think <laughs> I'm happier now, so that's good. That's good. <laughs> so when you when that happens, right, when you're when you're commissioned to shoot uh, promotional stuff for a band, how does that work with with, with larger shows? I know how it works with local people. I've done some local stuff, but never to the height that, that you've done it, do they want you to develop themes and, and ideas or do they come in, do, do their people come in with ideas or does the band come in with ideas? How does that all get fleshed out? So if it was a, if it was an editorial, then the, the magazine would generally sh- send you with a brief. And then, uh, for example, the time I had to go and shoot Foo Fighters um, and so they said, right, you're going to shoot the Foo Fighters in Ireland. You're going to go to Bono's Hotel, and there's a penthouse suite at the top, which is Bono's penthouse, which when he comes off tour, he usually sort of decompresses there for a week before he goes home. And that's what we've hired out, and you're going to do a shoot there. There's a hot tub, and you're going to get the Foo Fighters in it. And I'm like, okay. So the, do they know about this? No. Okay. So I'll get in the hot tub. Fine. Right. So – Luckily, they're really obliging chaps, right. but it's a two-man hot tub. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've seen this picture. Nice, it wasn't a very nice day, but I was like, right, okay, so the magazine want you to be in the hot tub. And they were like, okay, so in they jump, and the pictures were amazing. But, you know, that's a bit annoying sometimes when you have to be the messenger and say, right. So, And sometimes <laughs> the ideas can be really cheesy. You know, there's been – some before, like right, the band are holding this this pig's heart, and this is happening, and oh. it's like, oh, no, I don't, you know, in fact, <laughs> they don't do that, you know. But um, in terms of press shots or artwork, then I mean, I, I generally don't like thinking too much about. I, I kind of like to know where I'm going to do the pictures, but I, I generally quite like things to just sort of evolve. So if you have to get a lot of shots done in a day for a press session, then I'll have ideas of things I want to do in the studio in terms of lighting and backdrops and things. But, and then I'll have an idea of where we're going to go up like halfway through the day and sort of mooch around and sort of, you know, hang out and pretend sort of, you know, try and make things happen that actually are quite organic, hopefully. And, um, but that's generally how that works. Um, I don't come up with too bigger concepts and I don't really like to rely on Photoshop too much either. Uh, me either. I, I guess that that's a good segue there. How much post do you end up doing? And, and with my stuff that I've done in the past, I, I try to make the photograph good and then maybe just tweak it with Photoshop. Cause I'm not all that skilled in Photoshop. 
do you have to do you find that that publications want you to to enhance things for them because I've, I've noticed uh well I'll, I'll leave it there because I'll, I'll but i want to return because i've got another question for you that's a similar but a little different so i was just going to use as an example my resonators project which um you may know about so yeah so um so that that was um for example as an example of sort of the way i i like to work it was um as we i came up with this well someone put the idea to me of of um that i'm i was looking to get stuck into a project and um sort of looking at sort of doing something in conjunction with a charity and coming up with something that felt right basically and okay. the idea was put to me that because of my heritage, I could approach the the sort of legendary guitarists of the now and um, and try and get a collection together of portraits of of as many of these guys that, and girls that I could get. Um, so, I, well, I had to you know approach all these people and <laughs> make it all happen, and it was a lot of work, um, and it's. Uh, again, it's not what I love doing is hassling people and asking people <laughs> things, and but it was a real exercise in that. But um, and a lot of people who were on the list because you start googling right top a hundred guitarists of all time, and you know, and then you start sort of trying to find contacts and trying to get you know approach all these people, and a lot of them are either not around or not available or don't want to do it, and then the people who do want to do it. I just think you just think, oh, brilliant. Thank you. People like Peter Green, um, who was almost impossible to find. Yeah. Um, I, I'll come back to that in a minute, but just in terms of the photographic process. So with all the portraits that I did for this, which were over 30 portraits of guitarists, um, I, 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 I knew where I was going. So I'd met them either at their house or at a, a studio or something like a, a, a recording studio. So I knew the location. So I went there with one battery light usually, um, yeah. that I've since like 95 pretty much <laughs> <laughs> taped up with gaff tape and, um, and, uh, and, and a black backdrop as well. And so I do about three or four different setups within about half an hour to an hour. And, wow really try and just try and get something that felt like the essence of the person, you know, so mm -hmm. not a picture, but try and, um, so anyway, so I did all that. For example, when I did Paul McCartney, I got about nine frames because it was, I was lucky to even get anything. So the fact that I got nine frames and I've got one shot there, which I thought brilliant. That's, that's great. That's all I need. Um, but when we finished doing all the pictures at that point, Nothing was really photoshopped, but we we took everything to a, a professional retouchers and said, right, can you just give this a little, a sort of, can you bring them all together somehow? Can you just do something to all them? Yeah. And actually, what they did is every retoucher within the in house, they sort of divvied up the portraits and said, right, you're going to do these ones, you're going to do these ones. But actually, collectively, it worked really, really well. But wow. I just do very minimal retouching, and I don't really like comping in too much. So, um, so, so to cut a very long story short, <laughs> I think I'm not a professional retoucher. I'm a professional photographer uh, and there are people out there who do that thing a lot better than me. That, you know, that's an excellent point. I'm glad you said that. Cause that makes me feel better about my lack of, uh, of knowledge of Photoshop. I used to be 
halfway decent. I could restore stuff. Old, old broken pictures with cracks and stuff. I could scan them and fix them, but I don't like changing too much, which, which kind of brings me to this, the other question I started. I, I, I asked you that question, and then I started kind of morphing it into another question, and that's why, that's why I kind of I tried to stop myself from doing that. But there's a lot of stuff that I see out there by, I, I want to say professional photographers. I'm, I'm assuming they're professional photographers. I'm not sure, but there's a, a oh, what's the word I'm looking for? An unnaturalness to some of the lighting, like the, an artificialness, I guess maybe to to the light. And and I'm not I'm not talking about the the lighting on stage and, and the color lights. It's just the the use of filters, either through Photoshop or even with iPhones and stuff, has really, really I, I think almost cheapened a lot of made made it more difficult. I guess it would be a better term for real talented people who've gone through the, the, the training and the apprenticeships to, to separate themselves because now it's so easy to take a shot and say, Oh, well, let me just put this Instagram filter on it and it'll make it look a lot better. Do you find yourself going up against stuff like that very often? Well, the industry has changed so much and, um, and you know, everybody is a photographer and I think quality control is not what it used to be. But there are a lot of incredible photographers out there, and and uh, and who are much better at, like you say, using the filters. I mean, even I can take a picture sometimes on my phone, and it can be better than something I've taken on my camera. For <laughs> certain things, for example, if I'm doing a, I don't know, a product shot or something, and just so handy just to whip the phone out and then you know play around in some of the 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 processing. Like, um, what do I use? Um, I don't use Visco. I use oh, I can't even, I can't remember what it's called now. But yeah, I always sort of mess around a little bit and sort of bring up the shadows and the highlights, and you can get amazing results. But um, for me, the kick I get out of taking a shot, like there's one shot, I've, one of my favourite pictures that I've taken is of the Mars Volta in El Paso, sort of near a railway, a sort of elevated railway, and they're backlit by the sun, and I've got my crappy battery powered uh, <laughs> lumadine and and it's pumping in just enough light in the front and they look beautiful like beautifully lit and then there's that that halo of light from the back and the mm-hmm. train is going over the tracks and it's all happening and it like for me i'm like yes that is just makes me feel so happy and great that's the moment it, you live for yeah and and it just fills me with, I don't know. I can't, I just, it's uh, some of that joy and magic has been lost in the digital process for me. But for me, that's what I love about it. It's just, you know, looking back at the shots that you've taken and go, Oh my God, that is magic. That pure magic. Um, and, and to sort of rely on, and we all do it. I mean, I do it now. Sometimes I take some, you know, ropey old pictures. And I think, Oh, well, hopefully I'll be able to sort that out in Photoshop. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, to, to be able to get it just like that is the best. Well, one of the best feelings. Yeah. It's amazing. One of the pictures talking about that, that picture of the Mars photo, one of the ones that I saw in your portfolio that I got that same feeling was the shot you took of Scarlett Sabe, the one where her arms raised and the sun's shining through, and you got that beautiful rainbow halo underneath. It, it, that to, that's one of my favorite shots in your entire portfolio. It's so beautiful. 
And, you know, that was – so we were going to do like a little studio-based – I've got a little studio near to where I live. So I live quite remotely in the countryside now. And, um, but it's a real luxury to have, it's just a small studio, but so we were going to do some shots in there. And then I said, well, look, should we, cause it's always nice to get a variety when you're, you know, doing a shot of anyone to try and make it look like you did these shots on different days, for example, just right. by going outside, it looks different. So, um, out the back, there's like old cornfields and actually, it was winter time, but um, I thought, well, let's just go outside for five minutes and, and see if we can get anything. And it, literally it was five minutes and I had a big reflector dish, no other lighting. And that's it. Just so like shooting into the sun and um, yeah, like you, I was like, God, oh, these are so, again, giving you that feeling of just like, just, I love that. I love the feel. And not, I didn't do, I mean, I didn't add any flares or anything. That was just all exactly as it was. And, yeah, that it, it's such a stunning yeah. photograph, and it, it I love it. You've done some work with some pets, and I wanted to ask you about that real quick before we get in, because I do I do want to ask you a little bit about resonators. Um, sure. You did a a charity for the PDSA. How hard <laughs> was it? Uh, I guess it's called uh, Pet Portraits. How hard is it Poor. to portrait? Pet, pet portraits. <laughs> <laughs> How I've always been told, don't you know? It's it's so it's hard to work with children and pets, and I've got limited experience with pets, some with children. But how how difficult was that job? Doing celebrities with their pets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, you know, I quickly. I think I just had my daughter, and I had some like squeaky baby toys that I had to take with me on the shoot, and. And sort of, you know, it's all the same. It's like, like you start squeaking and making silly noises, and um, and actually, I do a really good meow. <laughs> <laughs> it works well for you know rock stars and dogs. <laughs> One of the shots, and it's not for that. It's for uh, the War Child. The shot that yeah. you took of of uh, Fran and Nora Healy. Yes. Is that a real cat? Because so, okay, the meow I was talking about <laughs> is the meow that made that picture. <laughs> so the cat basically freaked out and did this kind of face of like, "Who is that cat?" <laughs> the biggest cat I've ever seen. Yeah, no, no. Well, maybe it's because he's just sort of in the fore. Well, he's not even in the foreground. He wasn't even that much of a big cat, but he's such a big presence in the picture. Well, he because. It to takes me. away from the naked bosom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it, yeah. My my focus is more on the cat because, yeah. to me, it, it's on uh, Fran's hip, but yeah. it's at such a the head. It's it looks so stiff. It looks like somebody had a sculpture of a cat and he just held on to it. it it's like the cat is just stone. I know. I it's just, it's hard to explain. Yeah. It's it's the it's the magic of that moment, isn't it? That split yeah. second. Where I meowed and it went, what? (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's exactly it. It's that moment. And so now you've got your uh, resonators out. And and that's a a show that's out in South America right now, correct? So resonators began... um, With the the project of, of... Yeah, so I did... I took... Originally, I did this project of 30 plus portraits and um, the original 
idea was that I went to America as well for a week where I was shooting. I mean, it was just insane, but I, 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 <laughs> I built the whole American trip because obviously it was all self-funded as well. Is that, you know, I thought, oh, well, wow. if I'm going to go to America for a week, I'm going to base it around the vague hope that I might be able to shoot Paul McCartney. And then I will pencil in Joe Walsh, John Frusciante, <laughs> Wayne Kramer. Wow. Around it. And so, uh, you know, and then if it all works out, brilliant. And Steve Jones. And, and so I, I arrived in LA and within the first 24 hours, I was not expecting, but I've got a phone call saying, from, from Paul McCartney's people saying, okay, we're at Jimmy Kimmel tonight. If you want to come down, you can get your snap today. Wow. And I was like, Oh my God. But I just sat down after hiring equipment and getting a car and, you know, and I was just so jet lagged and had to bomb it over to the Jimmy Kimmel. And anyway, that Jeez. got the picture and that was great. But then from then on everything, and it was great actually to do it that way. Cause the most sort of terrifying one happened first yeah. and it wasn't terrible he was he was so lovely you know but it was just like is it gonna happen it did happen brilliant so now we can focus on everything else and and so that was yeah so that was great so so it, it was a i did all the pictures and then i did a print of all those pictures and they were each signed by everybody who i photographed oh, wow. so for example steve jones signed his one and sent it back to england and then it was it was um exhibited at the Royal Albert Hall and uh, as part of Teenage Cancer Trust they have a week of concerts and and then they auction those prints off um okay. and then from then um I did a crowdfunder to basically make a book and we did a black and white version with more images because it's such a it was such an important and amazing collection of people like I say it wasn't completely comprehensive but it was still just a great slice of that world and um from then from there so this is, so it's done a little bit of the rounds here and and we, we we made this book which is brilliant I had another exhibition and then recently um I made contact with some people in South America who wanted to show it in Buenos Aires and it took quite a while to take it over there but what we did it wasn't just resonators uh, we called it resonators plus because it was like some other images of like smashing pumpkins and various other like red hot chili peppers and placebo oh. and you know a bit more archive sort of collection you know not retrospective but sort of more than just resonators so hence the resonators plus but also when i got to buenos aires um i shot seven of their most important music more guitarists really um one being someone called charlie garcia who i didn't really know that much about until we were planning the trip and okay my goodness he's like a god really? uh I, my instagram didn't know what hit it <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i had no idea <laughs> wow. the, the passion and the love out there for all the so i shot seven people in one day for this and oh, wow. and literally i i um so we did the shoot and then I retouched, you know, basic retouching. We got them printed out the next day framed. And then the exhibition opened literally three days later. Um, wow. and that was what made, that's what made it so special. And, and the potential that we may do some more, um, around South America, just because they've been really interested really more than anything. That's the reason why it went there. And, but you know, the, the idea of like maybe going to Brazil and doing a similar thing where, you know, I go and photograph 
some of their most important musicians who then add to the exhibition. It was really exciting and such an incredible thing. And it's still showing and and they're going to, um, it's maybe going to Uruguay and, um, just as it is still at the moment. Um, and it's going to go to the provinces and that's cool. It just keeps rolling along. It's really, you know, great. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. And I'm going through those photographs. I mean, there's, there's, Something that I absolutely love, like like the photo of Steve Jones. That's fantastic. I mean, he looks like Evil Knievel with a guitar. Yes, it's amazing. Well, yes, yeah. I mean, it's it's every every story tells you know every picture tells a story, and and his story was it was funny speaking to him when I finally got a contact for him. And, you know, I said, Oh, well, I'm planning to come out, you know, in a few weeks time, what is your address? And he said, I'll tell you when you get here. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, it was quite secretive and, and until the day and then got to his place and he rolls up on a, on a motorbike and comes in and he's got like a real bachelor pad in, you know, the Hills and sort of West Hollywood and, and you know, there's like leaves in the pool, and um, oh I think God. the loo wasn't flushed. You know, everything. It's just as you want it. And then he, and then he had um, this evil Knievel outfit that has SJ, like his initials on it, and and he's just a larger than life character, literally. And I think when we were taking that picture, we were playing a. There used to be a show in the UK called Name That Tune, okay. where. <laughs> Yep. You had to guess the song with like a few, you know, a few notes of the, the song and you oh, have yeah. to go, I'll name that tune in five. So there'd yes. be five notes. You have to go, right, it's this. So we were playing that when we were doing those pictures. And so oh, he wow. was. <laughs> you got to play name that tune with Steve Jones. Yeah. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> that is so cool. While he's dressed like Evil Knievel. Yeah, totally. Better. <laughs> well, uh, some of my favorite photos out of that collection are the ones where the guitar doesn't even play a, a, a large part. Like the the photo of, of Jimmy, um, Jack White, Peter Green. I mean, the, the guitar isn't the main focus of, of a lot of these pictures. And it's, it's they're, they're really fantastic, even if you take the, the guitar as part of it, as uh, away from it. I had a question and it just totally slipped out of my head. Well, I'll come back. I'll, I'm sure so I'll come back. To, to I was, was going to add to that. I was going to say that. Um, so when I started the project and I thought, well, how am I going to, what's going to be the sort of the thread that links it? And obviously, well, I just thought it would be good to have them all holding a guitar because um, not just visually for the guitar, but because it will ground them and it will make them feel relaxed. That's a and great it, you know, it, it's, they all, started just noodling away while I was, you know, and because and, ultimately it is, that is their number one. That's their thing, isn't it? It's, that's their camera. So that's their camera. And they feel happy. If you, you put them on their own standing in a room, I mean, you feel naked, don't you? So mm-hmm. just by giving them their, their guitar, it just, it takes it into a different dimension of we've already sort of relaxed a little bit. And so, you know, there's one of John Frusciante sitting in front of this crazy desk of wires and, and the color, the color image that, well, there's another one of him standing in front of a Captain Beefheart painting and where it looks like I've stolen his soul. But I I love the photo so much because he's wearing this Muhammad Ali t-shirt and and it's just the way it all looks in black and white but he he yeah it it feels quite intimate um and a bit uncomfortable but i really still love it 
for, for, for the way it makes me feel. The the one of Albert Lee is amazing. Jeff Beck and, and Slash, those those are all such striking. But Jeff, you know, with his hand partially covering his face, he looks like he's having yeah. a blast. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was um, apparently, I didn't know, but I was told afterwards that he doesn't often laugh that much in photos. So, but oh. I just, I kind of want to get behind the mask of, you know, and even like the picture of like my dad, because ultimately he is not Jimmy Page to me. But when I photograph him, I have to photograph him as Jimmy Page because that's what we're doing. Right. You know, it's not dad. It's like it's got to be in that vein. But at the same time, I don't want it to have that feeling of distance. You know, I want it to feel there's some kind of connection with all of them. And, and so with that that particular image, I felt like there was that nice um, mix between it being serious, but this a slightly gender, a bit Mona Lisa-esque. <laughs> yeah, you know, I get what you're saying. It's it's a brilliant image. It's it's fantastic because the guitar is not front and center. The head, it's just the headstock, and it's just yeah. really fantastic. Now, with with photographing your dad, is it? I know it's hard to edit a lot of these pictures. I mean, some you can toss out immediately, you're like, oh, these are not good. But when it gets down to picking the last few. Is it harder to edit your dad than anybody else because of him being your dad and at the same time, Jimmy Page, the, not, the artist not, that everybody knows? I don't know. I think generally when you're doing an edit, I'm I'm pretty bad at editing in terms of <laughs> my favorite picture. But I think you generally know which one's standing out. But I think what's hardest is is being bossy with my dad. So, you know, I think generally if you're being a photographer, you have to direct a certain amount you know you have to be a little bit bossy and I have been likened to a, a school headmistress <laughs> and so it feels a bit weird not being able to let the school headmistress come out when I'm photographing my dad so I have I'm a bit more I just let that one unfold a bit more and not I'm not so bossy yeah. I'm not super bossy anyway but you know sometimes I don't know it's just weird because it's yeah it's a weird dynamic but um so far I've always managed to get some good shots. <laughs> so yeah. you've been fantastic. And the last question I've got for you, and I've, I've kept you for quite a while and I thank you so much for your time. It really does mean a lot. You and I are, we're about the same age and I grew up listening to Led Zeppelin. My mom got me my first album and it was Led Zeppelin four. You grew up in that. And uh, so the, the time when, when music was really taking a hold on me, there was actually a lot of, a rebellion musically against bands like Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones. That's what, you know, punk and new wave was, was supposed to be again, you know, going against the dinosaurs of, of rock. Did you rebel at all musically when you grew were you just, did you decide I'm not going to listen to my dad's stuff? I, I'm going to go punk new wave or was, were you just into anything? Well, I was into my own music. No, not my own music. Like I wasn't making music, but you know, I think, um, I suppose it's like anything, like if you're, it would be weird if I'd grown up going, oh, I'm really a massive Led Zeppelin fan. <laughs> Just weird. So, I mean, it was all very much very familiar. And, and you know, I, I remember going through a sort of uh, a period more around sort of, um, you know, 15, 16, where I was actively really listening to the records. But my my formative years were more um, 
sort of electronic, um, you know, things like Duran Duran and Depeche Mode and uh, that was just, you know, the stuff that was on top of the pops and I used to buy Smash Hits magazine and sing along to the lyrics and, you know, I, I just, I really did love music, but it was more the music that you were hearing on the radio and it wasn't until later on then I started sort of listening more to like, yeah, the Doors, oh, Fleetwood Mac. I always really like Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac, and oh, yeah. um, one of my favorite albums is Buckingham Nicks, actually, which you yeah. can't get on Spotify, but it was one of the best albums. Um, so yeah, I think it was more the music I was hearing because it wasn't just Led Zeppelin, you know, it would be unusual to listen to Led Zeppelin in the house. You'd be listening to Buckingham Nicks or, right. you know, things like that. So, or I don't know, Stevie Winwood or. Uh, Bad company, or not that I really stuff, listened. Yeah, stuff that was on the radio at the time, and and so and and I really loved the Beatles. Actually, I had the big box set. Oh wow! It was quite Blondie, Kate Bush. That was all more me, um, but I did definitely get into it. But um, but yeah, but but not in the same way. I think my first album was. Oh, the first albums I bought. So interestingly, the first albums I remember really actively going to buy was Wham. Oh wow! <laughs> um, the, uh, fantastic, and U two with the one that Anton Corbin shot the cover of, and he is one of my all-time photo heroes. Uh, so that actually is more. It was for me. I think Image did really come into it because again, one of my favourite artists is someone called David Sylvian, and oh, Anton yeah, yeah. Corbin photographed a lot of the David Sylvian imagery that I loved and he did a lot with Depeche Mode and so strangely it sort of intertwines with with the image um you know the 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 people that I liked I can see how okay there's a connection there yeah and that's I think that's been lost with a lot of uh you know, content that's download only now. You don't, you get, all right, so you may get a digital artwork but you can't hold it, you can't flip it around and look at it, open it up it's I, I think no, there's a loss there. Secret things engraved on the vinyls. Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So who, do you li- who are you listening to nowadays? So I went to see a band called White Denim the other day who um, I think they've been going around. They've been around for a long time, but I really enjoyed it. And um, the other band that I am really, I do really love, but I'm waiting for their new album is Tame Impala. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of Australian music at the moment. Courtney Barnett I really love. Um, some Vincent I wish actually since since beginning resonators I found it really difficult to make contact with the female resonators side of things because a lot of the people um, like Bonnie Raitt really wanted to do it and, and it just didn't work out and I was able to get Chrissy Hind but you know people like well I mean there was I, I tried everyone <laughs> but, but actually <laughs> As the years have gone on, there's a few more years have passed. People like St. Vincent and Courtney Barnett, Courtney Barnett would be like so up there, like my high priorities. But at the time, I didn't know. Uh, but now I'd be like, oh, my God, I'd be desperate to shoot them because I think they're incredible. So so there are plans to expand resonators now. Well, it's a lot of work and I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that I won't. And and so like this Argentinian chapter was just the perfect way of doing it. Again, it felt very organic. It was like, let's do this, let's add this. And it just makes so much sense. So, you know, 
something like that. You know, there, there is a, a talk of maybe taking it to L.A. Um, again, it, well, if I did that, then I definitely want to add something to it. So it changes all the time, but I, I feel really proud for, for that slice of time that I managed to capture because, you know, I, actually I think everyone's still with us, but there was at the time of contacting people, I was worried that, you know, some people weren't going to be with us. Yeah. <laughs> like, person I shot Wilco Johnson actually had been diagnosed with terminal cancer and he was given three months to live wow. at the time that I took the photo and and uh, so that was just a really poignant moment for me where I was like god this feels really I mean it just he really touched me that day because he was just the way he was looking at his impending you know yeah the, the, his mortality yeah uh, it was just I came away feeling he just really inspired me all of the things he was talking about and the way he wasn't frightened and he'd had a great life. It all come full circle. Uh, but he actually is still with us, which is incredible. <laughs> I mean, no one expected it. Somebody just went, hang on a minute and, and got involved and they went, yeah, I think you can have something done here. It's not, you know, so at the right time, just a miracle operation happened and he is still with us, but well, that's, yeah, it's a great shot that and Dick Taylor, you know, they're both, you know, yeah. very, very, there's something very touching about those, those two shots in particular. Thank you. Yeah. Well, well I'm, I'm happy. Now you'd, you'd mentioned that some of these are available to purchase and, and I'm actually, I'm on looking at my, uh, my, I've got two laptops here and I'm they're actually scrolling across my second laptop right now. So, um, where can people find, uh, your work? And, and if I know some of these photos are, are available to, to buy and the, and the, uh, the proceeds are going to to the cancer foundation. Where can people? Ha- how can people help out? So some of the images, the color images, the um, there's uh, so the on my website scarletpage.com. So I'm Scarlet with one T, P A G. So there's a link to to a, um, a print sales there, and the color resonator shots. Um, that there's a there's a percentage that goes to Teenage Cancer Trust. Here and they have opened um, in in LA as well now since I started the project. So it's um it's also something that happens in America. And um, then my other archive images, I sporadically upload images <laughs> to it. They're not very good. I'm just not a good businesswoman. But ultimately, you know, people do quite often get in contact and say, I'd really love to buy a picture of Dave Grohl in the corridor smoking that cigarette. And I'm like, oh, cool. And then by the time I've printed it for them, I upload it to the print sales and then it's there. But, you know, so so quite often that's how that happens. But, well, I'm yeah. going to have to order the one of the Verve because that, that, I love that shot. That's, it's, and it's my, one of my favorite bands of all time. And you shot it. So it's it's – it all comes together in that shot, so I'm going to have to put an order together for that. Um, I'll have to send you as well the images, the other the the outtakes, so that you can just have a look at them. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing! And is it is yeah. it available? In, the resonators is it available in a book form? So the resonators book, um, I'm not sure how available it is anymore because we did quite small runs. Um, I'm sure there are some floating about out there. Um, uh, but, but there was a, a whole heap of them that, uh, the distribute distribution center went into kaput and then oh. we ended up donating them all to teenage cancer trust in LA. And so then I think, I don't know what happened then. So that I think they sort of then sort of put them out, but there's still definitely, you can find it secondhand on various websites and stuff. Um, if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, not, that's a, another weird 
I'm gonna. Uh, this is gonna be a kind of a stretch to make a connection, but it sounds kind of like the uh, the legendary Verve bootleg, semi bootleg uh, Voyager One. So, th- do you know do you know the story about that? No. Oh, this is amazing. There's a vinyl pressing of the Verve live in two different locations. I think New York and London, and yeah. they made a thousand copies. And I asked Brian Cannon of Microdot this oh, and yeah. whether whether this was an official release or not and he said it it turns out it, it is considered an official release well apparently in storage i think um i think it was in storage or in shipping out of a thousand i think 300 or so were destroyed they melted <gasps> and so there's only 700 available when it came out in like 93 i lived in new jersey I live in Virginia now, but I lived in New Jersey, and I was in a little town. Me and my buddy were just walking down. We found this little record store, and I went in, and I saw this weird Verve vinyl. Never seen it before. They only had Storm in Heaven, and I was listening to that multiple times every single day. And so I'm like, oh, wow, a Verve bootleg. I got to get it. And this is before it was the Verve. They're just still Verve at this point. So I grab it and I think it was like $9. And so I, I pick it up and I got it and it's blue vinyl and it's really cool. It turns out it's one of those 700 or so that actually made it out alive. And so this is, apparently it's wow. like the one really rare piece of verve, uh, actually music that I, I don't have a whole lot of rare collectible stuff. I just can't afford it. Never been able to, but I just stumbled upon it. So your, your book is like, the uh, the the book version for me of Verve's Voyager One, <laughs> so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have it's to hunt it out. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Maybe that Verve's your pension. Maybe. <laughs> you know what's funny? I saw it. I saw it on Amazon. If you look on Amazon, there one person had it on there. It was like ten thousand dollars. But no it was way. it was on there for years. Nobody ever bought it. I think they finally okay. <laughs> lowered it down to like I think it, it's still a couple hundred dollars at least. But I, it's not the not the ten thousand dollars I was kind of hoping it would be. I still wouldn't sell it no. anyway. But no, no. Oh, but cool. Where can people follow you on social media? Well, on uh, Instagram, I'm Scarlet Page. And uh, on uh, Facebook, I'm Scarlet Page Photography. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. And I, I do have a Twitter handle, but um, I don't really do tweeting as much. I hate Twitter. I can't stand <laughs> that think, format. I think if you're, a, if you're a wordsmith, then Twitter is your forum. But um, I'm a pictures person, so yeah. <laughs> I, I'm to do Instagram. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for spending your time. I know I've, I've kept you a lo- longer than we had we had uh, agreed, but uh, thank you f- so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Mark.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.